The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. Star Trek, the pod directive, the official Star Trek podcast is back for season three. Journey with Lower Decks cast members Tawny Newsom, very funny, and the wonderful Paul F. Tompkins through discussions about all things in the Star Trek universe. This season, go behind the scenes of hit shows with the guests from Deep Space Nine and The Next Generation and explore the impact of the franchise, including Picard, season three. Listen to Star Trek, the pod directive every Tuesday, March 7th, wherever you get your podcast. Number one, engage pod. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for season three, episode three of The Mandalorian. Hello, my name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, we are stepping out of the airlock and into an unexpectedly diverted episode of yes. The Mandalorian. Andorian, season. one might say. It was very Andorian. Season three episode of the Mandalorian, though there is very little Mandalorian and even less baby boo, but it's a good episode. In Nerd Out, listener Ike has thoughts about The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 2 from last week. And uh, uh, as always, if you want to jump around, check the show notes for the timestamps. We understand there have been some issues with the timestamps and their accuracy. We're working on it, uh, but it's somewhat out of our hands. Just bear with us. Up next, the airlock. Stepping out of the airlock and back onto the beautifully constructed surface of Coruscant. It's thriving. The jewel of the galaxy. <laughs> For season three, episode three of The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, chapter 19, The Convert, written by Noah Kluwer and John Favreau, directed by Academy Award nominee Lee Isaac Chung. Um, folks, let's get into it. So we we open up. Right after we ended the previous episode, by the living waters under the mines of Mandalore, Din wakes up beside Bo-Katan, who just saved his life. Grogu is very cutely standing over him, <laughs> looking concerned. Yeah. Uh, and Din's very, very first thought, first thing on his lips, <laughs> I am redeemed. He's just in oh, it. Reese. He's like, I'm redeemed. He's ready. I'm He's redeemed, like, baby. I, it, I woke up. I know. It's happened. Bo agrees. And uh, she's like, yeah, you did it. You you bathed in the living waters. Uh, and it's very clear that Din uh, passed out before the mythosaur. Mm -hmm. um, and so Bo is just ready to get out of there because she's really processing what she saw. She says, can we leave? Din wisely takes a vial of the water as proof. Wisely, I say. Yeah, uh, especially as we just wouldn't have gone. So he really, he, <laughs> just he made gone it worthwhile. <laughs> like he made yeah. it worth. If you're going to go get the proof. Also, this will be a recurring question this episode, but Bo-Katan, 
Why are you keeping that mythosaur safe? Why are you keeping it a secret? Uh, I want to know. I it, it's very, very interesting to me. More on that in a bit. Uh, Bo then quizzes Din a little further, you know, like, did you see anything at all? Are you sure you didn't see anything before you, you know, like before you passed out? He's like, no, not at all. And then she, uh, he says, well, I did see like a chasm of mm-hmm. some kind. And it was so like, deep. Well, it was so deep down. And she says, well, maybe the Imperial bombs, you know, during the purge, they must have opened a fissure or something like that. Anything, uh, anything alive or anything? Nope. Okay. We're going. <laughs> they head back to Kelavala, uh, to get Mando's ship. Din thanks Bo. They both give, you know, the, the cursory, this is the ways. And just then Grogu says something in a very kind of, Cute, all as always, but serious tone mm-hmm. as well. And then right then the ship comes under uh, attack from TIE interceptors, the kind of upgraded dun, TIE dun, fighters. Dun. And really at this stage in the timeline, we know that those are probably connected to Moff Gideon or his little, you yes. know, cult. This is not uh, like the, a normal there, empire attack. There's a lot of mention of imperial warlords these kind Mm -hmm. of like remnants of the empire that splintered off to kind of like do their own thing um and and the idea is you know i think uh you know at least the idea that that Bo and din are probably dealing with is maybe this is something like that or moff gideon um mando gets on the guns Bo uh stays on the stick the really cool sequence where Bo brings the ship screaming over her castle uh and mando drops out of a door of the ship, using its jetpack so to slow sick. down so he can get in the end one. It's super cool. Grogu, uh, you know, flipping the uh, the cover of his <laughs> little pod closed. And then we get a really great dogfight. Uh, great for everyone except for R5 and the, and the ties themselves. R5 is, like, not ready for this level no. of stress. He is ang- an um, anxious boy. We get a trademark Star Wars canyon run. Is it even a... Star Wars dogfight. There's no canyon run. I don't think so. I feel like the guys at ILM who are really showing their skills here. <laughs> yeah. This is another episode where I'm like, I feel like the way they're diverting money to the MCU and to Star Wars is is not making sense, but I'm happy with how good the Mandalorian looks. It also might be because ILM is like probably doing a lot of this work in-house or at least designing yeah. it there. This shit looked so good. It looked if you watched amazing. it on an IMAX, you would be like, this is fucking unbelievable. Like, it is it looked, trademark looked really Star Wars action. It doesn't look too CG. Yeah, you not, not any it. drop of quality. It yeah. is, yeah, it's, this is epic. And I, I'm, I love, I imagine that there's like a little board at ILM and they're like, canyon run. Like, if there's a dog, it has to be a canyon run. Like, I mean, it would not shock me. I'm sure somebody with more technical skills could do this, but I'm sure they have templates for mm. like seven different canyon runs sitting oh, in sure. their computer animation files. So they just go, I put another canyon run, put another, put just reskin it differently and then put it in. Anyway, it looked great. Um, they fall into a really easy chemistry, Bo and, and Mando. Bo leads the ties while Mando comes up behind them to pick them off one by one. Then finally, to take out the last one, Bo pulls it, you know, hits the brakes, pulls a 180, takes out the last TIE fighter as R5 completely just blacks out from stress. <laughs> um, Better for him. It's like, though, you know those videos I think so. of people who go on those catapults at carnivals yeah, and, they or, just or roller coasters and they just pass out? That's R5 in this moment. He's like, nah. Certainly he would not 
have wanted to see the next thing, which is Bo's castle get completely Oof. wiped out by a, a further squadron of ties. Bo is <laughs> at first I was like, Bo's gonna be mad about like the people that live and work in her house but she's nah. i think she was really just more mad about the house she's <laughs> mad about the house and like it, the funny thing is like in her like let's put it in inverted commas defense like we've only seen droids in there i would be sad about the droids Bo, you should I, be I, sad droid, but yeah, like we haven't I seen would. it for but she just cares she's like that was my castle do you know how hard it is to come across a castle in the galaxy, when all your people have left you and you are an apostate, but I had a castle, it's gone. And this is like, okay. this is a big barrage. Like, this is I a, mean, they've, they've this spent is, a lot of bombs blowing it this up. This is the first hint, and I think the biggest direct kind of connection to what this episode is really about, which is what, what we're going to skip to in a minute. Because, like, as they point out, they say, like, that's a lot of ships for an Imperial warlord. And you got to think, like, who has that many ships and who would waste that yes. many bombs on this? And it certainly seems like something beyond Moff Gideon's mm-hmm. pay grade. Um, Bo is furious. She wants to take out the ties that bombed her house. Um, but, you know, there's a whole hornet's nest worth of ties coming at them. And so Mando uh, sends Bo some coordinates and they jump to hyperspace to go somewhere. We go to dun, da, 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 Coruscant. We see our good friend and mortal and enemy and mortal enemy. I use that. I use that phrase, you know, sarcastically. Yeah. Our friend, Dr. Pershing, former Imperial collaborator, former, we'll put in air quotes, is speaking before a large audience at the Opera House from the Revenge of the Sith. Uh, he is free and able to give these public talks that are very, very well attended, thanks to the amnesty program uh, that the New Republic runs, which allows those who cooperated with the Empire and its remnants to join New Republic society. Um, Dr. Pershing says there were many of us who had no choice, none, I say, in working for the Empire. But now the New Republic has given us a second chance. Yeah, I would just say, just in case you don't immediately recognize him, you last saw him, he was doing Dangerous tests on, baby. on the baby <laughs> yeah, at the at baby at the behest of Werner Herzog. So this is not like this is yeah. not like a stormtrooper who was like kidnapped or drafted in or something. This is a a scientist who is using his science to test on the world's cutest baby, the galaxy's cutest baby. But you know he wants a second chance. This is very interesting to learn about this amnesty, yeah. and I think this episode has some quite interesting... I I, I really like that. Me too. I also think this episode has some interesting parallels with our other Pedro show that we just said goodbye to, The Last of Us, when it looks at, like, the way that people take over and and change from, like, fascistic regimes. There's lots of interesting uh, and or kind of comparisons in this this episode. This is an episode that is a lot about bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. Everyone's Um, favorite Star Wars topic. Definitely George Lucas's favorite Star Wars topic. It's feeling very prequels, uh, baby. Pershing uh, admits that his former research was cruel or at least um, was employed uh, for cruel means in cruel ways. And he lays all the responsibility for that on, quote, someone intent on using cloning technology to secure more power for himself. Probably talking about Moff Gideon, but who knows? Yeah. And also, um, let's let's remember the last time in the Star Wars canon that we saw somebody return via well, a cloning technique. Let's 
more on that in a bit. Let's let's put a pin on that for now. But I think a good uh, a good thing to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Doctor Pershing then continues that you know he hopes that uh, he'd be able to use his his skills as a genetic scientist to help the new republic. And he talks about in a very Elizabeth Holmesian moment. He talks about the loss of his mother and how her organ cloning. You know, if, I, if only I could have cloned a new heart for her, could have saved her life. Uh, Pershing's work, which is, you know, built on the uh, foundation laid by the Kaminoan uh, researchers who, of course, uh, produced and and uh, delivered the clone soldiers. Prequel siren uh, going off again. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it is all about splicing the DNA, dun, 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 of numerous individuals together to create a single stronger genetic sequence in one individual. Sound familiar? (laughs) Sound familiar? (laughs) Uh, We'll go into that in more detail quite soon. After the speech, Pershing hobnobs with some of the New Republic elites. They're feeding him. They think it's wonderful what he's talking about. However, these are like the most cynical Mm -hmm. politicians imaginable. They were politicians under the Republic, under the Empire, and now under the New Republic to the point where one of these uh, these elites can't even remember like events. Which one was which? Which one was which? His his wife has to be like, no, 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 honey, that was the Republic. Oh, yeah, who can even, uh, who can even tell? They were living life. They were living the high life no matter who was in charge. That's right. And they're still living it now. That's correct. And they see in Pershing something of a reflection of maybe a a, a lesser evolved version of themselves, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. survivors who just want to do what they do and don't really care who's paying the bills as long as they keep getting to do it, whether it's acquiring wealth or getting to, uh, you know, attend uh, fancy talks at the mm-hmm. opera house or in the case of Pershing performing grotesque genetic experiments <laughs> on very, very cute babies. How dare. Um, <laughs> Pershing lives at Amnesty House, which is kind of halfway house. Uh, he he arrives home late that night and he, uh, he gets to meet some of the uh, fellow former Imperials who also live there. Everyone has to wear like a, a kind of like dumbed down version of their old uniform, same kind of cut with these special red pins that identify them as ex-imperials. Uh, they invite Hit Pershing for a drink and Pershing recognizes one of them, G-68 from Moff Gideon's ship. They used to work together. Um, the mention of Gideon kind of changes the mood. We learn that uh, he was on trial for war crimes, for crimes against the galaxy, but has either escaped or that's a cover story for him dying mm-hmm. while being mind flayed. Um, no one really knows. G68 then uh, makes all the right, you know, uh, makes all the right kind of notions about integrating with the New Republic and how important that is to her. Uh, but she does it in a very kind of robotic way yes. that makes you think, like, does she really want to integrate with the Republic? Yeah, Kate, and then they then toast to the New Republic. Katie O'Brien is so great in this role. She played Jarella in. Uh, Aman and the Wasp, Quantumania. She's so good here. She's so menacing. I just want to say something. I'm not trying to yeah. get back on a Marlene-style hype against the New Republic. But I will say, if you want to instill loyalty and give people the feeling of a some kind of redemption or a part of being able to be part of society, probably, like, let them use their names and don't give them Stormtrooper-esque, like, numerical kind of... I think that that... 
I understand that, this is a early days. Yeah. So the point is, this is all bureaucratic, right? And everyone's trying stuff out. So this is like, you've got so many people. They even make a point about that. But like, G68, I'm like, you could just be like, you're not part of the empire now. Now you get a name. Like, yeah, now what's you name? can, what's your name? I feel like there's many interesting, this is a, this is very Andorian because there's a lot of stuff in this that is about the Republic trying its best, but still making some of the same mistakes as the empire. And I think they're, they're much smaller mistakes, but I found this to be a very interesting one, especially the arc that the characters go on this yeah. episode. I'm going to stick up for the New Republic here. I do agree that this is a, it's dehumanizing and it's unnecessarily so. But even, but as the Imperials themselves note, if this had been in the Empire in charge, mm -hmm. all the ex-Republic soldiers would have just been thrown yep. into a Sarlacc pit and, and, you know, executed en masse in their millions and billions probably. That's a very good point. So... Yes. So this is actually like not a, you know, like, OK, it's a miss here with the with the numerical names, but they are working to integrate them into New Republic society. And you have to you have to hand it to them. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you absolutely have to hand it to them when you do not absolutely have to hand it to Marley. I will not hand it to the Republican Republic, but I will let you hand it to them. But also, I will say. This scene is so good. 10 out of 10. All these actors, they bring such an Great. interesting like depth. It's very quiet. It's very Andorian. It's very much in this kind of morally gray area of there are you can see like Pershing and G68, as we will call her. Yeah. They were quite high up, but it seems from the others that you might have some like stormtroopers here, some grunts, some people who really probably didn't want to be in that situation. And there's this kind of like real grounded honesty to this scene I was just really this was when the switch between what we usually expect from the Mandalorian to this this yeah. mo this kind of scene really sold it to me X-ray vision will be back and we're back they all start reminiscing about stuff they miss from the Empire and they're careful to be like not the not the destroying planets. Don't like, say and you killing missed, kids. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Don't say you Just like the small testing things, a baby. like the socks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like you know those, the gray socks, the gray special yeah. hospital socks? Hey, the hot water pressure was really, really good on the Death Star. <laughs> 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 it's like, it's really, I actually thought that was a really great moment as well to highlight this like weird, complex situation that the New Republic's got themselves into. Because immediately Pershing's like, well, you know, I just loved, and they're like, no, 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 don't say anything about like, don't talking about like, you loved having the science to test on a baby. Like, no, they're like, yeah, just say like, yeah, don't talk about they're like, we don't want to erase your experience, but also like, don't talk about genocide. Just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the mundane day-to-day -day things, you know, that you missed living well, under a fascistic empire. empire. <laughs> Yeah, the Empire had a box at the pod races. And it was exactly. Really cool. you know, like, we could get to go. I, I liked yeah. sitting and looking out at the galaxy in the mess yeah, hall. Like, like Those are the kind of things they're looking for. And hilariously, I guess it turns out there weren't actually many good things about the Empire. Just one. And they all agreed. Just one. And Pershing brings it up. It's the biscuits. The travel biscuits in your little uh, meal ration kit. Apparently, quite good. Yeah. One of them's like, I don't want it. I don't want but it. But the other ones like are like, it. these were banging. They mostly agree. Later that night, Pershing is like reading up on the culture and society of Coruscant, just trying to get acclimated. You know, the big city, he spent so much time kind of ensconced on a ship that in a lot of, a lot of ways is like a small city that flies through the space, you know. But like now he's on this 
huge, vast planet-sized city, and he's feeling out of place, and he's reading about it um, when there's a, a ring of his doorbell, and he goes outside, and he finds the travel biscuits laying there. Um, we get to see a little bit of Pershing's work life. He works doing data entry in the archives, and we later learn that what he's doing is cataloging imperial hardware that has been captured, decommissioned, weapons, ships, all the things that are on the ships, and he's cataloging them. And so they can eventually be destroyed. Yeah, I just want to jump in here. New Republic Cynic, she's back at it. I don't like the Empire. Just need to specify that. I'm not supporting the Empire. Glad the Empire's gone. But I found one thing. Don't get rid of all that stuff. That's stupid. You don't have anything. Keep that stuff. Repurpose it. That would be better. On, on a less logical point, but a more of like a thing that I thought was really powerful about this episode, I kind of like how Pershing's job and the tone of it and the vibe of his life, it feels very similar to Cyril Khan's. Like it seems like the New Republic, some of the stuff that they could take on from the Empire, the kind of data entry and the day-to-day mundanity yeah. of the lower level people is just still there in the same. And that's not necessarily a judgment on them. It's just something I found really interesting and I thought was smart because it's true for a lot of people, your life on the lowest level of society probably wouldn't like materially change immediately. And I thought it was really interesting that he had this kind of mind numbingly boring job where he mostly just interacted with droids. It really reminded me of Cyril early on. I think that's a good call. I will once again lightly stick up for the public (laughs) this time in that when we eventually go to the shipyard, a lot of the stuff is torn out of it. So stuff has been scavenged out of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now I will criticize the New Republic and say, I mean, this guy's got to have supervision. You can't let... Feels like he shouldn't be the people, one doing this job. Yeah, like ex-Empire people cannot be the people who are like, you know, like writing the catalog of history here Seems without like anybody idea. looking over his shoulder. I, I just like... Also, you know, specifically this man. Like, I feel like there's probably a lot of people in the Empire who were doing like different kinds of jobs who that is kind of a punishment in itself because it's very yeah. mundane. It's in the office. This man, guess what he needs to do his work? Very specific Imperial technology. Guess what you are giving him access to at all times? The knowledge yeah, of the very specific Imperial technology. I, I mean, this guy should be... <laughs> This guy should be, like, sweeping the streets of Coruscant. Like, yeah. I'm not even bullshit. That would actually like, probably it, be happier. He's very... Com- he's, he's a war very, criminal. Come and on. He's, and he's very, like, conflicted in his kind of space. I think the best thing to do is take him out of anywhere where he could be thinking about doing tests on babies for <laughs> dodgy Nazi science. Like, no. Just, like, yeah. let him st- keeps, sweep a street. He can't help it. He keeps saying stuff like, well, you know, in, under the right circumstances, this kind of research could be good. It's like, yeah, I mean, like, you can throw a child like out of an airplane and see what happens and you could probably get some good yeah. data from also, that but why the fuck would you want to do they that do a great, this is really great writing on this episode because yeah. he as we will see as the episode goes on that mindset um yeah. that he has ends up becoming like his undoing in this really brutal way and i love again that comparison of like no actually sometimes there isn't something good that can come out of a bad thing. It's yeah, always bad, the, no matter who uses it. It's always bad. Sometimes the ends and the means are both so terrible that there's no reason. Yeah. You know, the means can be so terrible that the whatever ends you end up at are not worth it. Um, Pershing later on uh, has some ice cream cones with G68 to explore Coruscant. Yeah, lovely, delightful, glowing ice cream cones. G has been 
on planet before during uh, her academy days. She's like, we thought we were doing good. Pershing agrees. He also was like, yeah, I thought when I was experimenting on that baby, that cute little baby with those cute little eyes, I thought I was doing the right thing. And every, yeah, it's like, it's like, and everyone who was coming and all these different people trying to stop me who seemed like they were on the other side of history, they were definitely in the wrong. I was, I was yeah, doing yeah. the right thing. And I definitely wasn't testing this baby's midichlorians to see if they could somehow <laughs> be used to give someone else midichlorians. This was all good. It's it like, was all good. So, gee, when we were like uh, blowing up whole planets, that was Alderaan. The, was the rationale the right there. Thing, right? like, was, yeah. Anyway, uh, Pershing is like, you know, we were close to some really, really cool breakthroughs oh. when they shut us down. And he says again, in the right hands, our discoveries could have helped a lot of people. And she's like, well, why don't you keep doing it? You know, just like as a hobby. <laughs> Just like at home. She's like, you're just with like, the Republic, New Republic now. You can do that, right? There's no reason you yeah, couldn't just get do some it. Babies you're on the right uh, side. Up in your, yeah, up in your apartment and just like run some tests on them. Like, what would you need to make that happen? Uh, and Pershing's like, well, like, unfortunately, the New Republic considers it horrifying <laughs> <laughs> to experiment on children. Uh, like, unfortunately, sorry. they just like, their genes together. Also, like, uh, and, New Republic kind of, like, very aligned with the Jedi and that whole, like, force yeah. thing. It's probably not going to go well to be tested on midichlorian babies. And G is like, well, you know, you were just following orders. And uh, and isn't, isn't just following orders, even if it's coming from the New Republic, just kind of like how we become the Empire? Wasn't that, isn't that kind of the same thing? He's like, that makes a lot of sense. And she says, you know, sometimes you just got to trust your gut. And if your gut's telling you experiment on babies, you got to do it. <laughs> Dude, I have to say, look, these two are having the most unhinged conversations yet. It's but, so crazy. But I just have to say, the performances by uh, K.E. O'Brien and then uh, Omid Abti, who plays uh, Dr. Pershing, like, I cannot tell you how well they cast this chemistry. Like, I, I will say this, you believe yeah, this, that she can convince him and you believe that he is, like, morally weak enough to kind of believe that he would be doing the right thing when really you know he just wants to keep doing it but there's just he just it, wants to keep experimenting on babies yeah it's, it. it's so believable and like so bleak moreover i think that this is actually a really important concept and it's one that i think about all the time which is how very often mm-hmm. people's political and philosophical beliefs are backfilled to support the thing that they want to do. Yeah. Dr. Pershing is like, I'm a good person. Yes, I want to experiment on babies. But when I was doing that before, I was forced to. And now that I want to do it again, I want to do it because something good can happen mm-hmm. that wasn't allowed to happen last time. And and he's created this and is in the in the process of creating this entire like ideology around, I just want to do horrible genetic experiments how can I continue to do it? Oh, here's this political philosophy that yeah. says uh, if you want to do good, then you are doing good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that allows me to do it. And that's really I think that a lot of people fall under this where they create their po- their politics around what they really defending want to do. Defending that. Yeah. And also, yeah. I think as well, there's something really interesting in the notion of like, this is the only thing he knows how to do. And rather than actually like putting <laughs> yeah. in the work to become valuable in another way yeah. to the empire, he's clearly incredibly intelligent. He yeah. has some kind, instead of being like, 
oh, the New Republic, like, what do you need from me? Like, how can I help you? And they'll be like, you can work up to that, but here's some ideas. He's just like, bet they they don't know it, but what they really need is someone who does genetic testing on babies, 53-year-old babies. <laughs> and And after she says, sometimes you have to trust your gut, G makes it very, very clear that she is part of some sort of group of ex-imperials who want to continue doing imperial stuff, but this time for the good. Mm -hmm. And it's very, I think, very notable with all the connections that we have mentioned to the latest trilogies um, that while they're at this, you know, outdoor, uh, uh, you know, walking park, uh, you hear in kind of like carnival form the John Williams' masterpiece, I think. From, mm-hmm. uh, I agree. Uh, Force Awakens, March of the Resistance, you know, when Poe Dameron and the rest come screaming over the water, bum, bum, ba-da-dum, bum, ba-da-dum. Uh, so a lot of a lot of very conscious ties. Yeah, like this is, I think, one of the most interesting things about this episode is it, as we will talk about more, it really feels like Favreau and Filoni are doing what they do best and coming in to kind of fill in these gaps in Star Wars yeah. lore. But they're also doing the things that they love, which is referencing the prequels and trying to build this kind of holistic world with the prequels. And now, as we're seeing, the sequel trilogy. So it's very interesting. I love that March of the Resistance catch too. Like, what a great song. Well, I think, you know, as we were talking about off mic, I think this is very, very much in the Filoni wheelhouse, which is you build out the context around something mm-hmm. from Star Wars. And if you do it in a compelling enough way, as he did with Clone Wars, it lifts up the original story. Yeah. You know, with Clone Wars, obviously it was the prequels. Mm-hmm. And in this case, perhaps, I think we would both argue, this is an attempt to lift up the latest, the most recent trilogy. And specifically, I would say like Rise of Skywalker. Like the yes. final entry, kind of building Rise this, of Skywalker. building this context around, as we will get to, how this genetic testing may or may have not been involved in the iconic moment where Oscar Isaac delivered the line. Somehow, Palpatine has returned. Yes, <laughs> and I think it, I think I think that's where this is going. I think very so clear, too. Right? and I think very as well, clear. the coolest thing is like. That is such a maligned moment. I will forever. I obviously we love Oscar Isaac in this pod, in this house, in this like community. But like, <laughs> I will forever love him for being our in character in that moment. He didn't want to deliver that line the way yeah. he put it across. And if you can turn something like that, where even the actor was disappointed with the route the film went into a nuanced, interesting. Look at the conversations we're talking about: science, the ethics of genetic testing. This is obviously. Yeah alluding to and built on like the fact that a lot of contemporary science that we have now is based on Nazi science, you know, like this is like a real world analogous thing that Star Wars does so well. And they're bringing that in to potentially, as we are guessing, and I think we are right, especially by the time we get to the end of the episode, to bring gravitas and context to what was essentially a throwaway line to do like fan service. And I just think that is like really, really cool. And like you say, that is the power of what Filoni does and has done. That is the reason that the prequels are so beloved now. That is the reason why Hayden got to come back. He is a huge part of it. Obviously, it's the fans and the people who love this stuff. But Clone Wars gave people 
who loved Anakin and wanted to see more of him, who had grown up on those movies and felt like they were really special to them. And and there was something there, even if they didn't see it come to life the way they did. And it gave people who didn't like them something to glob onto and then revisit the prequels and say, oh, well, this matters to me now because I know what was going on in between. So I just, I think it's really cool. And it's, I have to say, when The Mandalorian first came out, I definitely thought as soon as they mentioned the baby's midichlorians that this was where we were going to go. But it doesn't really here seem like we got here till today. So if this episode yes. feels different to that fun, creature-heavy adventure that we've all been loving, this is why. This is actually important. This is not an unnecessary diversion. This is probably the major thesis of The Mandalorian as an arc. I, I completely agree. Pershing uh, attends a uh, regular debrief with a uh, therapy droid <laughs> who is there essentially to make sure that his integration is going smoothly. Yeah, like therapy droid slash like spy. Like, does he really, he just wants to know, like, are you going to be an Imperial again? Although, although it's like the honor system, like he's Mm -hmm. not hooked up to machines. The droid is not. Oh no, it is um, therapy. Attenuated to, is not attenuated at all to like pick up any stress in his voice or anything. Like whatever he tells this droid, the droid is just like, okay. Yeah. And walks away. Um, So, you know, he's asked various questions about how his integration is going. Does he have any uh, does he have any resentments towards the New Republic? And at the end of this, he says, hey, uh, quick question. <laughs> what would happen if I was to, you know, just like as a hobby while I'm doing private citizen. Stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah, private citizen, just like a person, start pursuing my genetic research on babies <laughs> one more time, you know, just by myself. Also, and it would specifically like, be one baby. Like, there's only really <laughs> one that could happen. So I'm going to have to hunt down a baby, kidnap it, and then do it. How would that go? And the droid is like, that's a hard no. Cloning is illegal under the Coruscant Accords. And, you know, that is the treaty which ended the Civil War and brought peace to the galaxy, which... Important. I, I am a little shocked that Pershing didn't realize... <laughs> didn't realize deep in the empire like he was deep in the illegal. empire i know it's yeah. it's really you can really see how like brainwashed or like in the in the empire yeah. he was because he's like cloning <laughs> just like fully illegal huh like i'm like yeah, bro, fully yeah. if and, i and see that's a no i'm like you know how in every star wars movie whether it's we saw it with r5 last episode like you know you yeah. can just always download what is on a droid and like give that information to someone else i'm like why are you even asking a New Republic droid about cloning if you're trying to do it? Like, this is a bad idea. You're basically snitching on yourself. But I love but that I he it, was just like, he really didn't know. Like, he really thought it, it might just it, be okay. By that token also, <laughs> it, 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 it does show that on some level, Pershing, I think, it feels like he's really making an honest effort mm-hmm. of integrating to New Republic. So I think he feels like, you know what? I'm really trying. He doesn't. I, but now they're wrong about this. Yeah. And so I have to go my own Also, way. let's be real. He is being like fully manipulated by G68. Like she is I, like, I think I, he wanted to I, do I, it. I, but I do think she is like, I think he's kind of like a weak enough person that if she hadn't been there, he probably would have just kept doing his imperial jobs and I getting don't more disagree. resentful. I, actually. I don't. I don't actually fully disagree. I, I we'll get back to that more in a second. So uh, later, after you know this uh, therapy session, Pershing is like, "Okay, the New Republic are fucked. That's <laughs> what the hell?" He finds G sixty eight. He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "You know what? I want to go back to work. Uh, I, we're going to do it again." And you know what? When the New Republic sees 
the value of my work, I think they'll come around. And she's like, I love it. What do you need to, what do you need to start splicing baby jeans? He says that, uh, uh, and she's like, wait, I can get you, you know, whatever you need. Uh, it would just mean, just so you know, it means sneaking out of Amnesty House and breaking some other rules. Pershing's like, well, I don't want to go back to the Integration Institute, which was is clearly some other, like, if this is a halfway house, it'd be like a quarter house that's like one step away from being jail. And so he's like, no, I'm not gonna, I, I'm not gonna do See, that. that. She's like, okay, that just to me on. is the moment where I feel like this is not necessarily a moral strength in him that wouldn't have made him do this. I just think he's easily led. So I think if she wasn't I, I, I there that offering that him these options, he probably would have not done this till somebody else did it. But he's not going to say no. He doesn't have like the moral I, core to understand what he's doing is wrong. I don't necessarily disagree. At the same time, there is something fucked up in this guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And And at the very least, he should not be doing the job that he's doing and be given as much free reign as he's given. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you that she is pulling him in, for sure. Um, the next day at work, Pershing sees that he's being ordered to destroy a bunch of imperial files which contain technical documents, other perhaps valuable information. He's like, hey, can I access these to find if there's anything useful here? And that's a no from his <laughs> boss. He says, listen, we're really busy. Actually, like, his boss is like, we're really busy. Like, just do as you're there's told. A really the real a- Yeah, when really the real answer is, hey, former imperial guy, we're not going to have you, like, accessing imperial technology. Also, can I say... Is, so why don't you shut the fuck up and, like, go to jail? His boss is, like, very kind and, like, definitely, like, wants to be his I friend. Agree. Like, his boss is, like, trying to check in on him. Also, this is the other thing is, like, this man, I do not know where he got such gall. Because when we saw him <laughs> with Havana Herzog, Havana Herzog was always telling him, no, 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 do your job. Go back in there. No, no. He never at any point, like had someone who he could tell what to do like so i'm just like was he just always like this like (laughs) you don't understand and i think it's hard if you've never had a passion for experimenting on babies i've heard to really understand how how it drives you and how it becomes all consuming as if you have once taken the blood without consent of a baby full of midichlorians you just can't slice it you know with other dna like the, the rush of it is just amazing. <laughs> so after this, uh, th- this like run in with his boss in a very, very uh, subtle metaphor, he then takes a big bite out of the Imperial Biscuit. That he's feeling nostalgic. And those yeah, biscuits feeling like are going to become a taste of empire. They're going to become a very subtle theme throughout the episode. He had earlier someone mysteriously had dropped them off outside of his room. And it, it's obviously G. But now he's like yeah. snacking. He's feeling nostalgic. He's thinking, oh, I wish I was back working for the empire where I could just experiment on yeah, a baby all the like, time while eating some delicious biscuits. Yeah. Also, uh, does he, he not have it, questions about how G got those biscuits? Because I'm saying... No, no, no. Well, he doesn't fully know it's her, even though I'm sure he suspects. Yeah, like, who? because really, uh, who would have access to imperial biscuits other than an imperial? Just say it. Just another person, another person with a sweet tooth. Another <laughs> former imperial with a sweet tooth. Uh, at his therapy session, his next one, he then lies that he doesn't feel any anger or resentment towards the New Republic. And, and it's very obvious that he's lying, yeah. but the droid doesn't catch it. And then he goes straight to G's apartment. It's like, let's go. Let's fucking do this. Oh, yeah. And there's like, there's, G- I just want to say there's a moment I love here because this shows again, like about his like, his 
the way he's just constantly convincing himself he's not doing it because he wants to do it. He's doing it because it's good for the New Republic. Because he says yeah, to the droid afterwards, he's like, is our role as New Republic, like people in the New Republic, is it to do what is best for the New Republic no matter what? And the droid's like, yeah, bro. And he's like, okay, I'm going to test our baby. And he just like yeah, breezes okay. off. Hey, I'm like, no. Hey, my therapy droid said, give me the okay. <laughs> they just told you like, you can't do this. But he's like, he's like in his head, he's create, he's turning it into a moral crusade when as we can see, it's more of like an addiction. Yeah, it's like also, it's illegal, bro. It's illegal, anyway, bro. Yeah. X-ray vision will be back. And we're back. G and Pershing sneak out of Amnesty Housing. They go down by train to the disposal yards where much of the equipment and files he's been cataloging are held in these decommissioned Imperial ships. And G's like, Imperial ships have mobile labs, right? Uh, Pershing is like, I don't really, want, I don't want to do this, but really, he does. You can tell he really, really. I'm like, wants guess what, to bro? You could have turned around at any point. Yeah, uh, he learns now, absolutely definitively, that it was G who got the case of biscuits, and this is how she did it by sneaking into the yards. Uh, they have to jump between train cars in, a tor- in order to <laughs> avoid the Detroit conductors. Pershing is like getting a real rush out of this. We get this little mini heist feeling. They're skulking through the decommissioned Imperial craft and looking for lab stuff. Um, G setting the hook mm-hmm. for Dr. Pershing, like even deeper now, is like, you know what? I'm sorry I never introduced myself to you back on on Moff Gideon. Isn't mm-hmm. that crazy? Like, think we just walk by each other all the time. Like, isn't it weird? You know, like, you're in the bathroom, I'm in the cafeteria next door, and then we never talk to each other. Now we're breaking into ships together. I'm Elia Kane, communication mm-hmm. officer. And he's like, Dr. Penn Pershing, scientist. And it feels huge. I experiment on babies. I experiment on babies. And it feels, I, yeah, she was the communication officer for fascists. But, like, it does, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. St- the, the, to the, to the, like, success and skill of the showmakers and the creatives behind it, like, it feels like a huge moment because not only were they nameless underneath the empire, but they're now nameless under the New Republic. And here is a moment where they can kind of like be in cahoots, even if it's to get stuff yes. to experiment on babies. And this idea of sharing the name and the power of a name, it's a really great way for her to get the hook. That's it, because it feels big. It feels like a trust moment. Also, kind of talking about this, it makes me think how much uh, Elia is kind of like... One, that's a classic Star Wars name. She's lying to you. Her name's Aliyah. I love that. That's just like the best, silliest, pulpiest thing. But yeah. also like, I love how much she's almost like a cool kid at school. Because like at no point should has he been given any reason to trust her. He just met her. Absolutely. She was on Moff Gideon's ship. He's not considering for a moment that this might be someone who betrays you. Well, but she gave him biscuits. At every point, she's like, she's given him a little bit. She's being nice yeah. to him. She's like, when he doesn't want to go, she's like, no, nah, no, nah, it will be cool. I promise. It's this very interesting kind of weird delayed like adolescence that they never got to have being in the empire but Pershing is just he's uh, he's ridiculous he's, he, he's not good he's not good at this he's not he's smart. absolutely falling for it they eventually find the stuff lab stuff Pershing is absolutely stoked he's reminiscing now about the first time he walked into a like a really high tech professional lab to experiment on you know babies and how what a rush it was and how he always wanted to be a scientist and Elia for her part is uh, never got to think about what she wanted to be which is like an interesting comment that she makes and then suddenly very weighted there's a noise 
Yeah, very weighted. Suddenly there's a noise and they see flashlights bobbing and Doc and G run for it. Uh, they're immediately arrested outside the ship. The cops know exactly who Pershing is and what he's here for. It was a setup and we realized that G sold them out. Yeah, I think this is a great twist because to me, the way it was going, I felt like she was going to sell him out to the Empire. And some kind yeah, of like empire group, not for any real reason, just because she would be like, well, now we've got the stuff. But I love that when they turn up, it's New Republic. And she's obviously rising up well, these ranks quickly. I will say, put a pin in that because I do, I think she's playing the long oh, no, no. game. She is. She is. But yeah, this yeah. moment, this little reveal yes. where she sells him out to the New Republic felt like a great twist on what I expected. But then, yeah, by the time we get to the end of the episode, her aims are clear and it's really great because she is playing the new republic like a fucking fiddle now here's where i will say good idea new republic i don't feel bad at all like it was pershing and trapped on a certain level yes absolutely should the new republic who are showing incredible generosity and largesse in allowing these mm-hmm. ex Nazi imperials to reintegrate with society and at a high level, give them jobs, et cetera. Um, shouldn't they have some sort of security measures just to make sure nobody's out here like uh, trying to do empire stuff? Not to mention, we should say, the empire well known for using mind programming mm-hmm. techniques, very serious mind programming techniques. And so if you're going to be generous to these people and not just like line them up against the wall as the empire would have done, you do have to put in measures to make sure that programming is broken, that the imperial mindset is not there. And even when there wasn't this kind of like, um, you know, heavy, heavy mind preparation as there were for the start for the stormtroopers and others. There was, you know, an unbelievable level of propaganda. Mm-hmm. You know, they lived inside their own imperial like communications bubble. Like so piercing that I think is important. And so while I definitely would, would quibble with the morality of some of the stuff that uh, you know Elia's doing here in entrapping Dr. Penn, I think overall it's a good idea. Let's yeah, yeah, make yeah. sure the the Imperials are not the, up to nefarious. Even if it's not like Imperial shit, it's yeah. like, bro, you just joined. Like, just just don't be breaking these rules of going and sneaking onto Imperial ships. It looks yeah. it looks shifty as fuck. I will say as well, Aaliyah using a a true time worn uh, informant technique here of snitching on other people and setting them up to be informants when you are the informant. It's a really common real life technique that has yeah. it happened in real life and i thought that was a really interesting space that she's in say, also this maybe seems like this is her job within the empire or within the new republic like, like she it did seem like it's kind of out her job. the new the new recruits but yeah i thought this was really interesting it was not what i was expecting i agree with you there should be some kind of way that they're checking in on these uh ex uh nazis who are now living within their world <laughs> though i will say what happens next? I again, I'm not a fan of what the New Republic choose to do. Right, here. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of what happens next. So what <laughs> happens next is they hook Pershing up to a mind flare. Sounds like a mistake. <laughs> but it's hold on, hold on. Uh, before you say anything, the Mon Calamari technician uh, says to Pershing, who's like, "This is a mind flare." He's like, "No, no, no, no." <laughs> we lowered the voltage. <laughs> Dude, this the is New a classic. Republic ones. 
The new Republic ones operate at a much lower voltage. It will give you relief from your Imperial programming and it will wipe, you know, the kind of like troubled Imperial uh, memories and and preconceived, uh, you know, consciousness sectors from your mind and it will feel great and it's not mind flaying. I promise you it's not mind flaying. You're going to love the way it flays you. <laughs> Okay, He's trust like, me. I've actually done I it. I had it done myself, and I loved it. He's I've like, never found felt it refreshing. I will say, I, yeah. <laughs> this again, just blowing me away. This this felt to me very Andorian. It's this idea of how, like, the New Republic they need to do some stuff, but they're getting rid of all this Empire technology. But they kept the Mind Flayer, and not just that. But it's at a lower. They're voltage. then arguing essentially <laughs> like they're basically these are the things that they used to say about giving women electric shock therapy that they still do say about yeah, using it on yeah. people, you know? I just, I thought this was, it was this great balance and this is so good in the writing. It's hilarious because of the way the Mon Calamari <laughs> delivers it, but it's really chilling. And even though you're like, oh, Shane, what chilling. the fuck, bro? You're like, this went really deep, really quickly, this like wrong direction where you're just like, mind flayers. You're like, guys, literally listen to the name. Don't do it. Put, do whatever well, else again, you need to do. Again, we've lowered the voltage, <laughs> and we prefer to call them mind, mind snuggers. Mind yeah, mind we're not we're not quite flaying. There is a little bit little of of, of a Joshua. kind of textural. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, I will say he looked uh, very chill when they first start it. Like for, he does look like he's enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. So Pershing is then arguing, hey, wait a second. First of all, before you turn the flare on, like I was entrapped. It was Elia. He then says very funnily to the Mon Calabari, it was a trap. Perfect. He just 10 like, out of 10 yeah, whoever perfect. put that in the script. Absolutely. Wonderful statement. Um, we see Elia watching from the other side of the window, which is weird. You shouldn't be allowed to do this. Like, you just entrapped also, him. This is a sadistic choice. Yeah. Also, like, this is just bad trade craft mm -hmm. from the Coruscant police. Like, you yeah. shouldn't let your informer, you should arrest your informer as well and be like, you're both taken into custody. So, like, the person has no idea who ratted him yeah, out. Yeah, this is like, a great... do it like this. This is a, you burn your informant. You make a great point, and I think this, again, showcases what we were talking about, about the early days of the New yeah. Republic and where they are in this kind of like bureaucratic space because the other cop who's in there with her who's kind of the, the mind flayer technician, he's just like, yeah, the mind. what do you do? What do you do? Uh, honey, how was work? Oh, uh, tough day of mind flaying. Flayed 10 <laughs> minds. You know, oh, accidentally nudged it when I was reaching for my coffee yeah. and flayed it instead of jostling it. Whoops, I flayed a guy oh, today. Flayed 10 guys. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> like, he's literally just in there like, you're incredible. This is the shit. Like, this is, you're so good at what you do. This is why you're here. He's like, for every failure, like this man in front of us, there is a success. And you are that success in informing on these people. And I'm just like... These these guys, they're as they're as, sometimes they are as uh, silly as Pershing for not seeing what is clearly going on here. Yes, completely agree. Uh, so Elia is like, man, I, this is crazy to watch. This, uh, you know, she's definitely seen flayed. a mind be flayed before. I do not believe yeah, this for a moment. Again. The the technician is like, hey, um, you can leave. You don't have to stay here. And, and now she's like, no, no, I got it. You, you know, if you want to take a restroom break. I will watch. She's like, he's my friend. Sure, like, I need to watch yeah, him be he's my played. Friend, you know, like he was wrong, but like there was a connection there. And I just, 
I want to be here for him. Uh, the tech then leaves her alone, which is like, what and so does everyone else. The Mon Calamari. Yeah, like, why is like, everyone's hey, just leaving? Don't. This is like, don't leave a candle on in an unatt- unattended in a room. Don't leave someone hooked up to a mind flare and walk away. Also, someone needs to be there the whole time. If we are, <laughs> if we are, as we have been saying, that you should be keeping an, an a better eye on yeah. the holistic. Uh, existence of ex-imperials in your space. Don't just leave an ex-imperial with the Mind Flayer, bro. That's a bad idea. Like, the Mind Flayer has one of the most ominous names of all time. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Like, So so as soon as the tech leaves, as soon as the tech leaves, G cranks up the voltage to full Mind Flayer uh, potential. She's all the way flaying. (laughs) And as she's flaying, she cracks open one of those delicious, a tin of delicious biscuits, imperial biscuits. In case you wondered which side she was on. That's right. That's not the force choking you. That's the dryness of the biscuit. (laughs) And she and she just cranks one down. And in what, again, is a it is a very, very overt in your face. Yes. She is part of the imperial uh, remains. And also, as we kind of like we we kind of touched on it, but when she informs on uh, Pershing and he gets caught, she is so trusted by the New Republic that oh, she takes like, yeah. away the box of Imperial tools that he stole. So arguably, she and whoever she is working for now right. have what they need to start testing on babies and building a Palpatine. I think what I think what she is trying to do here is to say, look at how they treated you. They're no better than the Empire. Mm-hmm. In fact, aren't they just the same? Look what they did. They mm-hmm. said they weren't going to mind flay you, and then they flayed you. Oh, that's you really slick. Do, you should just do, you know, you're trying to help. If he survives. realize it. Yeah, I mean, this is this is almost directly from the Palpatine playbook, which is like, my see what they're trying to do? Mm-hmm. They're trying to stop us from doing good. They're the same as the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Aren't they, Anakin? Aren't they? And look, isn't same? it going to hurt you and everyone around you? And in this yeah. case, you're going to get your mind flayed? Yeah. I think that that's exactly what her play I is. I think she definitely was always going to crank it. I'm interested to know if when he basically started being like, no, it was her, she like entrapped me. Like that's when she was like, maybe I'll crank it a bit higher, see what I can get him to forget. (laughs) (laughs) Just make sure we get all of the mind (laughs) flayed. We go back to the the titular character in this show. The Mandalorian? Mando and Bo, uh, he's taking her to the covert, his covert, and he's like, listen, I know, I don't need to say this, but you're, they go by the old ways. Uh, and I know that you've not been so fond. You've been kind of openly critical, honestly, of the old ways, <laughs> not to mention hanging out like in your castle in front Just of everybody. taking your helmet, helmet off. off. So please, please, please. OK, leave your helmet on. Also, a crocodile could come out of that water at any time and you need to be ready. <laughs> um, they land. Uh, Paz Vizsla is like, hey, what are you doing here, apostate Din Djarin, the Mandalorian who's been cast out because he took your helmet off? Din is like. Bitch, I'm redeemed. Yeah. And he's okay. like, it's me, Armor Wars. You are not redeemed. That's, Please leave. Yeah. Like, it's not happening for you. He's like, actually, there's two like, apostates. No, no. Fuck Listen, you. I've, I've been redeemed. And this is how. I went to our home planet. I went to the I went to Mandalore. And guess what? It's all lies about how they say it's polluted. It's not. You can live there and you can go there. And I went and I bathed in the fucking living waters. And Bo is like, yep, that's true. We have been to the living waters. And then uh, Din pulls out the vial in case anybody dares to question him. The armor. And, and Paz is still like, test. fuck off. 
Ah, yeah, fuck this shit. <laughs> the armorer then runs a test on the waters. Uh, Very scientific test. Okay, yeah, she's pouring it into some other water and it does something. And she's like, you know what? That's Mandalorian uh, living water, folks. And uh, Din Djarin, you are redeemed. This is the way, babe. And uh, by the way, Bo, who we have a lot of political disagreements with you, but you have also not removed your helmet in like 30 minutes, but it's the 30 minutes since you bathed in the living waters. Therefore, you are redeemed as well. Oh, as long as you stay, Bo, as long as you stay domed up, you can stay with us. And Bo, it's the physical acting oh my by God. whoever is in either the you know my gut says it's Katie. My my gut says I think it I might like be Katie both. is like I feel like she's in that suit because she is both. I think it's Katie and Pedro <sighs> most of the time, but whoever it is, the physical acting here is amazing because it's all helmet without acting. being able to see her face, you can tell that Bo, while she doesn't want to admit it, mm-hmm. feels like feels the weight of that acceptance yeah. and feels like on some level like she is home yeah and i kind of i love this as well because it's really funny because they kind of go oh you know you haven't taken off your helmet right and she's like no like casually and she acts surprised and you get these great shoulder movements in this head but yeah. look this is Bo. this bitch takes off her helmet everywhere and guess what Every- they knew it was safe <laughs> in the mines they knew it was safe on that planet but after she came out of that water at least subconsciously she kept it on you know, I yeah. feel like deep down, she kind of in the back of her mind, like when you do when you're a kid or or when you're just kind of daydreaming and you're like, imagine if this happened. Like, it seems rare, but I think in her mind, she she had probably played out like, what if I went back and they were just like, well, you went in the water too, so you're redeemed. Yeah. I think it's a really great moment as well, because I think this shows a shift in how the armorer sees the Mandalorians. Like, mm. they need more people. And I love this kind of, it's very different to anything we've seen her do. She's usually very hardcore but the fact that she says to Bo she's like look you can leave whenever you want she's like if you want to take the helmet off you can go but if you keep it on you're welcome here that seems to me like that widening of kind of who and what a Mandalorian can be and I I think that's going to be an interesting next step let me ask you this why hasn't Bo mentioned anything about the Mythosaur that's what I want to know I have a theory, and you tell me if this tracks with you. I think a lot of it is what you know, we've seen over the course of these last few episodes how disconnected mm-hmm. Bo feels. And I think for a lot of good reasons. You know, she's had her heart broken numerous times with regards to the internal politics of Mandalore, her own connection to Mandalorian yeah. identity, the the genocide of her people, et cetera, you know, the inability to do anything about it, all of these things. And 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 it's only natural that that would lead you to wonder, like, are we doing something wrong? Like, mm-hmm. why can't we defend ourselves even when our whole ethos is supposed to be about our yeah. prowess in battle? Like, what is it about our philosophy that is weakening us? I think that she is, has been, you know, so divorced from Mandalorian culture to the point where, you know, she's been openly critical of it. And I think she's taken the apostate identity in some way to heart and and yet this incredible revelation has been delivered to her the mythosaur is real yeah. and it must be a very lonely feeling because not only does do all these people her people view her as an outsider a, 
an identity that she kind of was coming, you know, some ways towards embracing. Mm -hmm. But now she has this incredible news for (laughs) them that they are going to be blown away. Like they are going to take it very emotionally, spiritually. It's going to mean a lot. It's this is a historic moment Mm -hmm. in the in the annals of the Mandalorian people. And here is this person who doesn't believe in any of this Mm -hmm. shit anymore. And that information has been given to her. Yeah. It must, it just must be such a weird, strange and discomfitting feeling. And I'm sure she just, with regards to her not saying anything, she just doesn't know how to say it or how it will be received. Exactly. She's really scared about like, what will happen when I say this mm-hmm. thing to them? What like it would be heartbreaking on a certain level for her to say, "Guys, the mythosaur is real. I saw it," and for them to go, "Get the fuck out!" Yeah, exactly. And why would they believe her? Like, I think you summed it up yeah. so succinctly. I think she's. I think there's two levels to it, and you basically eloquently put it across in the perfect way. But I would say overwhelmed and shocked. Like she's in yeah. shock. This thing exists. She saw it, and she is already worked out very quickly that she is the only one who saw it. She has no backup. She has no one to, you know, collaborate her story. And I just think it's like, like you said, it's it's that it's kind of incredible narrative storytelling that the one person who doesn't believe is yeah, given this burden dead, of you know? truth, yeah. you know? And then, like you said, I mean, that this is obviously going to weigh super heavily on her because the episode ends with her looking at the mythosaur on the wall, the kind of logo of the Mandalorian and not telling people. Also, I think another added layer is you get, she turns up, Paz Vizsla doesn't believe them, doesn't want to hear about it. That cements in her mind, oh, well, they're not going to believe me. Then she's welcomed into the fold and there's this incredible moment of kind of camaraderie at the end when everyone says this is the way and they kind of welcome them in and they hug them and stuff. And then she's like, well, fuck, like now I found this kind of like acceptance and home and I got to tell these people there's a mythosaur. And then she is also someone who has wielded the dark saber. Arguably, yeah. I believe she could have taken it back after having it last episode. I think there's like a, an interesting thing there. But she knows what it is to be a legendary Mandalorian who wields a legendary thing. And what is the legend of the mythosaur? Mandalorians ride them. So then does that set up this kind of conflict between her and whoever else? Does it the fact that she saw it mean she is the one who's going to ride it? Or will she end up being pushed aside so Din or another Mandalorian can ride it? There's so many interesting layers. But let's just say this. I think what we can say is we're going to be going back to Mandalore this season. That is my prediction. Oh, I think that that's absolutely Even right. if she uh, only tells Din. Lastly... It really feels like with the middle piece of this episode, we're heading towards Snoke, right? We're going to find out. That's what it's going to be. We're going to find the origins of Snoke. It's going to be Palpatine's DNA, some of Grogu's, horrifically some of Mm -hmm. Grogu's DNA, and who knows what else. But it feels like that's where we're going. I think we're heading towards Snoke. And I I think we're heading towards how they resurrected Palpatine yeah, which Palpy was too. this kind of this this amalgamation of of blood from his bloodline, you know, mixed with probably Baby Yoda's blood. Poor baby. Yeah. Um, I don't like what it says for the baby, but I am very interested. I thought I think if they lean into that Andorian, more politically nuanced, like in depth, and we had a lot of laughs 
talking about it because that's just how we enjoy talking about this stuff. But there's a lot there. It's, it's deep. It's kind of upsetting. It's really unsettling. I think that is the way to explore and add gravitas to what felt like, oh, we just want to bring Palpatine back. And I would love to see that. I think great call on uh, on Snoke being our first stopping gap. I think, you know, John Favreau's talked about The Mandalorian. I don't think he said he doesn't really know how many seasons it's going to go. So I think Palpatine would probably be later. But I think we can assume that we're heading towards the sequel trilogy. Now, what does that mean for who we will see or or what we will hear about? That's very interesting to me. Well, a, a really meaty episode. I was shocked when it came in at like 53 minutes. Yeah, longest, longest uh, one so far, I think. Uh, and I can't uh, wait to see where this goes. Up next, Nerd Out. <laughs> In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, or a theory that you're excited to share, listener Ike brings an RPGer's mindset to The Mandalorian. Hi, gang. One strong thought I couldn't stop having since seeing The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 2 was about Beskar. They've already shown the metal is incredibly rare, super useful, and can be reforged in the creepy monster's lair on Mandalore. There are just heaps of helmets and armor and mm-hmm. stuff laying around. If I'm Bo-Katan or Jin or Din Djarin, I'd be filling my ship with that stuff. You'd be set for life. Maybe it's the RPG gamer in me, but they need to be looting that dungeon. Not even a word about it? We're just going to ignore piles of precious metal armor? Maybe there's a Whirly Bird upgrade <laughs> in there. Just look at it. It can't hurt to try uh, Best Ike. This is I, a great point. I mean, it is like a great point. There's like a, there's billions of credits down there, <laughs> like Mandalorian armor. I would be smashing uh, every jar, you know, every every pot to see what is hidden inside. I would assume that the the plain answer is people thought that Mandalore was poisoned, so they didn't go there. Yeah, I think that the the propaganda mm-hmm. about the place has held, and I and further. You know, it's unclear to me that any, you know, other than this person who then, you know, uh, intersected with the Jawas, it's not clear to me that very many people at all have ever even dared to go mm-hmm. there. Like, it's it's very possible that it was just whoever that one individual was. Yeah. So I think that it's it might be that I'm sure that there's a scientific reason for everybody to believe that the planet is poisoned. Uh, but I think that I think that probably most people just assume that it's poison, which is why they haven't gone there. But yeah. I, I agree with I agree with you, Ike. Like next thing should be go mm-hmm. there and get all the stuff that's useful and get it out of also, there. Also, the one person I will say should have been doing this earlier is Bo Katan. Babe, you knew yes. it wasn't poisoned. You told Din it wasn't poisoned. You should have been in there with your crew raiding all that Beskar. Maybe you'll we'll find out you did raid some of it. But I think that would be interesting. I do think that this is likely gonna be a plot point going forward because if they're trying to rebuild Mandalore and Beskar is incredibly rare, the fact yeah. that there is at least some in the mines gives them a reason to go, even if they don't believe about the mythosaur. Also, I will say, I think because of Din's obsession with being redeemed and that happening and then Bo seeing this legendary creature that she didn't know or believe in, I think that they're both, that is probably at the back of their mind, even though they should absolutely be be raided in the dungeon. What about this harebrained tinfoil hat theory? Dun, dun, dun. Some, not all, 
because I think the timelines don't quite line up. Some of the materials used to build Starkiller Base come from Mandalore. Ooh. See, now you're talking. I love this. I love imagining the connections. I mean, why not? They are right? taking There's everything. There's all this material there, metal of, of you know, in, incredibly strong metal, other types of metal. We also know that they— Weapons of all kinds. We also know that the First Order— troopers were orphaned babies and kids that they stole very likely that some of them would know of mandalore maybe it had rumors of it or had family from there it would not at all be a stretch to imagine that may come into play which would also be great because again it adds more of that conflict between mandalore and din's two sides of like the force and mandalore and going against you know this kind of fascistic new force user i love that idea now, the the timelines are a little fuzzy because the construction on Starkiller happened like way, way, way earlier than this. But maybe some of the materials, you know, to build the super weapon or something, uh, I could imagine that happening. Anyway, great question, Ike. Thank you so much. If you have theories or passions you want to share, hit us up at x-ray at crooked.com. Instructions are in the show notes. Rosie, that is it for us. Plugs, 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 plugs. What do you have to plug? Uh, you can find me here twice a week with you, which is just the most fun, talking about all this kind of stuff. I have cool pieces recently at Polygon, IGN, uh, all kinds of fun places like that. I'll be writing a lot about Yellow Jackets. And you can find me, Rosie Marks, on social media. And yeah, that's it. Catch the next episode Wednesday, March 22nd. And of course, remember, bringing you two episodes a week. That's Wednesday and Fridays, X-Ray Vision, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe on YouTube, where you can watch full episodes of the show. Sometimes we're like this, sometimes we're in a fancy studio, so you never know what you're going to get. And follow us at XRVPod on Twitter, where you can see all kinds of cool stuff that we're up to. Nice retweets, fun reimaginings of the account when we want to celebrate someone like Pedro Pascal. And join our Discord. Like, we talk about it a lot. It's great. Everyone on the Discord feels like yeah. the Spider-Man meme whenever we mention the Discord on here, so you get that. And me and Jason are in there, and we do cool watch parties and talk about all kinds of things, even outside the realm of the stuff we talk about on X-Ray Vision. It's great. Five-star ratings, five-star five, reviews. Five, we five, need five, them. five, We five. gotta have them. You gotta give them to us. Here's one from Max Powers. <gasps> Ten. Fantastic. Rosie and Jason are so much fun to listen to. Even with the properties I don't follow, I still enjoy their recaps because they really get great insight. I recommend it all the time. Thank Aww. you, Max. Thanks, Max Powers. The famous Max Powers. Wow. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. We will see you next time. Bye. Hey, Mike, this is his stuff from Rain. Yeah, I want to talk about, uh, listen, Mike, there's no good way to say this. I, you know, I, I know there's it, there's a lot of complicated feelings about the Empire these days. Uh, they, they they made a lot of mistakes, Mike. I'm not going to say she didn't make a lot of mistakes. Okay, the, the, the you know, I did vote for him, but it was for tax purposes. But one thing nobody talks about, they always bring up Alderaan, they bring up the kids at the Jedi Temple. One thing nobody talks about, they never give them their credit for this, is the biscuits, Mike, the travel biscuits. They're amazing, Mike. 
they will change your life, Mike. If you ever get a chance to try them, I understand the biscuits are illegal under the Corazon Accords right now. But if you ever, listen by hook or by crook, you get your hands on them, they will, Mike, they'll change your life. They'll change your life, Mike. I'll take my answer off the air, Mike. Thank you.